Paula, welcome to Book Club on uh, on Late Nights. It is a pleasure to have you on. Thank you, Sarah Jane. It's wonderful to speak to you again. It's um, I said to you, and, and and we spoke about this before, but when uh, we met for the first time in Joburg, uh, not even a year ago, um, but we sort of we knew we knew of each other before then, but we actually met on the night of my book launch, where we exchanged books. Um, yeah. and, and pictures were taken and it was a very it was a really kind of it was a really emotional moment um, we've both written books about <laughs> adoption and it was a, it was a big thing and I remember you yeah. s- remember saying to you then listen I'm I don't know that I'm ready to read it mm. so don't be offended uh, if, <laughs> if I don't get back to you in a week and say I've, I've read it well weeks yeah. went by and then months went by and then a couple of weeks ago I finally picked up your book and you can kind of pick up the story from there as to how your phone was beeping <laughs> every five minutes <laughs> Oh yeah, no, it was it was very sweet of you. I, I love the the updates coming through on WhatsApp <laughs> as you were reading chapters and going, "Oh my God, I relate so much to this or that." Yeah, yeah. For me, um, you know, meeting you and and getting your book that night. I think it when when was your launch in August? Yeah, hey? yeah. Um, and and you saying no, you're not ready and whatever. And I think I was quite a, a lot further along in my journey yes. than you were, and I was so ready to read your story um and although our our stories are similar in many ways they're also completely different Mm, mm. um our experiences are so different our writing styles are so different and um i totally understand why you were not ready um and then in the months that followed i mean you traced and reunited with your birth father. Mm. And there was just so much going on in your life. And, you know, this whirlwind book tour and everything that you were involved in. And I completely 100% understood. So thank you for reading my story. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and just being able to to kind of be a, a shoulder um, to lean on, you know, when yeah. it comes to these kind of issues you can't really speak to many people about. So, yeah, I kind of feel like I've got like a soul sister in yeah you. no it's <laughs> absolutely and and we'll talk about the book in in just a second but it it is a case that still there aren't that many adult adoptees out there talking about their experiences particularly not in in South Africa it seems to kind of be mm. you me Tola and Tamu uh, and a couple of other people uh, who are out there uh, you and I in particular having written our stories down um, and yeah. and it's it's so important I think for for the adoptee or uh, the adult adoptee's voice to to be heard um, to to give a voice to children who at the moment may not know what that voice is exactly that is exactly, that was actually one of my main reasons to, mm. to write my story. And it was to speak to youngsters, particularly teenagers, when they're going through that really, really difficult phase, trying to find out who they are, where they fit in the world. And, um, you know, for adoptees, there's so much more to it um, when you don't know anything about your biological roots. Mm. And, and just speaking to these kids and saying, you know what, guys, you're not alone. All these feelings that you're having and all these thoughts, um, they are pretty universal to, to most adoptees. And then for the adoptive parents to also understand, if they read the story, to understand what their kids could be going through. Um, and often there's a breakdown in communication. Yeah. Um, you know, as, as well-meaning um, as parents and psychologists and whatever are, 
um, it's still a very difficult subject for an adoptee to to broach with their um, adoptive parents because you know they fear for they don't want to hurt their parents um, they love their parents they don't want to be disloyal to their parents but there are so many questions that need to be answered and the only person that can answer them is the biological family mm. so mm. yeah I mean that's that's one of the main reasons I wrote the book was to take the reader inside the heart and the mind of an adopted child. Yeah. So so Charlotte is the is the main character, the protagonist in in mm. the book. Um and I I really like Charlotte. Now I know that this is an autobiograph, autobiographical novel. So <laughs> for, for for you know and and autobiographical novels uh tend to either be 100% yes this is what happened and this is me and I've literally just changed names or they kind mm-hmm. of veer towards the other end where where the art, where the writer has some artistic license. How much of what I was reading was actually Paula? One hundred percent. That wow. was that was me. The okay. only thing I changed was the names of the characters. Um, for professional and personal reasons, a lot of the characters wanted their names changed, so you know, I had to respect that. Um, but the the book is written in um, it's written in the second person yes. voice, which is quite unusual. Very unusual. Um, yeah, uh, you know what? It came about quite by chance. I actually wrote the entire book um, in first person, as you, you ordinarily would for a memoir or an autobiography. And then I came across a letter um, by Tuli Maruncela, written mm. to her teenage self, talking from her, her older self's perspective and just saying, you know, things are going to be okay. You know, what you're going through now, um, everything's going to work out all right. You, you are going to be all right. And I just loved the way this voice sounded on the page. So I ended up changing my entire manuscript, and it, it works for me. Yeah. So the protagonist comes across um, in the second person, um, and then there are, there's a lot of letters and journal extracts um, from various characters in the story, and those are all real letters and scrapbook um, journalings and whatnot. So there are actually quite a few voices in the story. Um, They're all 100% factual, authentic, true. I've got all, you know, the the hard copies of all of that that I worked from. Um, Yeah, but the the protagonist, Charlotte's voice, that is 100% my life story, yeah. So without giving too much away, uh, the, the story basically tell, follows Charlotte and it's a, it's a conversation uh, between Charlotte and her biological mother and kind of then reflections back and, and what's happening in, in Charlotte's life. When, um, first of all, I want to know the title. I think this is, this is one of my favourite book titles ever. Where did you come up with the title, Umbilicus? Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, you know what? In the beginning, I had this whole um, concept built around the cuckoo and the cuckoo's nest. Um, they are obviously, they're parasitic birds, so they lay their eggs in other birds' nests, and then mm. other birds raise their babies. Mm. Um, and I thought it was really cool and whatever, whatever, and I started writing, and I was trying to come up with these very sort of clever titles. And just nothing was working. 
And um, I was well into the writing of the manuscript. And I literally, I'm not lying, it was one of those life bulb moments that you see in cartoons. And this word umbilicus came up. And I was like, hang on a sec. Belly button, umbilicus, the tie that binds, the whole thread, the theme of the story. So for me, growing up, um, I always knew that my belly button, my navel, which is umbilicus in, in Latin, which was the last point of contact with my biological mother. And I always felt a very strong spiritual link, a spiritual tie to her. And um, it just, yeah, everything just fell into place around that. And I don't think it needs much explanation. Uh, some people mispronounce the title. Um, <laughs> some of them do ask, what does this mean? Um, but it's, it's pretty self-explanatory. Mm. And... Um, yeah, it, it's worked out really well. Your book club guest for this evening is Paula Grubin, who is the author of the autobiographical novel Umbilicus. Do yourselves a favour. You don't have to be an adoptee, an adoptive parent, have anything to do with the with adoption. Uh, it is it is a, a superb book that I finally got round to reading a, a couple of weeks ago. So uh, so the the title is Umbilicus. When when did you think I'm going to write this book? Um. Pretty much from the day I met my birth mom. So that was back in 1995 when I turned 21 and I went in search with her and I went in search of her and I met with her. Um, and I came back from that first day, that first meeting with her. And, oh, God, it was the most emotionally exhausting, taxing, but exhilarating experience, probably one of the one of the most important days of my life and I came home and I scribbled down notes of um, snippets of the conversation that I could remember um, I was terrified of forgetting anything that she had told me um, and I stuffed all those little notes and scribblings and whatnot into a box and I kept them and she gave me a scrapbook of letters she had written to me um, that she had never been able to get to me um, because of the law, back in those days, there was no contact between the biological family and the adoptee. Um, so she could leave letters and photos and whatnot on file at child welfare. Um, but I was only allowed to access those um, when I turned 18 with my parents' consent or when I turned 21 without their consent. And You'll see from from the story why I waited until I was 21. But anyway, um, yeah, so I had a lot of material I gathered over the years, letters, photos, and I always knew I wanted to write this book um, and that it could help a lot of people. But I didn't know all sides of the story, and it came out over the years in bits and pieces. And eventually, when I fell pregnant and I had my own child back in 2010. Just all the puzzle pieces just fell into place. And I knew then that I was ready to write the story because I, I could empathize with both my birth mother and what she had gone through at the time she gave birth to me and had to relinquish me and also my adoptive mother and what she must have gone through at the time that you know, I entered their lives. Um, and yeah, it was, it was only, yeah, I think I needed maturity. Um, I needed life experience under my belt 
before I could write this story and do justice to the story. So I'm glad I waited. I mean, if I had written this book, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, it would have been a completely different story. Mm. Mm. Yeah. When you first sat down with sort of pen and paper or, or your laptop or whatever, did you tell yourself, okay, no holes barred, this is it, I'm going to tell the truth as I understand it to be? Or were you slightly cautious, thinking, well, obviously there are other people involved in this story, it's not a work of fiction, um, and therefore I need to be a bit careful? Cool. Good question. Um, initially, it was no no holes barred. I just went full on. Um, and... When I put some of my writing out there, it upset some people and I agreed to um, edit or omit certain sections in the book to protect certain people. Um, But for the vast majority of the story, it is exactly my truth. It's how I experience things. And you know what? Certain people might feel that they have been portrayed in a negative light. Um, But this was my truth. This was how I experienced things. I didn't make anything up. I didn't overly uh, dramatize anything in the story. This is is how things unfolded and happened in my life. So, um, yeah, you know what? There are certain things that you do have to be careful about because you are writing about other people. But by me changing names, um, you know, I did protect them and I protected myself as well as an author because it it can get a bit ugly. Uh, People don't necessarily like reading about themselves um, in a book. But um, I think everyone has the right to tell their, their truth, to tell their story. I'm fascinated by what you left out, which obviously you're not going to tell me. Um, but but I'm, I'm and I I'm fascinated by that uh, in terms of how those people or that person came to you and said, Paula, I'd rather you didn't put this in because to have uh, and it's very easy for people to do that when when you're writing or to want to know. I mm. I went through this myself. People want to know. Well, what are you going to say? And at some point, mm. I didn't know what I was going to say. I had to get to the end of the book. Um, yeah. And I didn't. I just. I wrote everything. I didn't. I didn't leave any anything out or anyone. Uh, mm-hmm. You know. Um, but again, because it was my truth, and and also, you know, I changed a couple of names where I felt. Um, and I changed names not because I wanted to necessarily protect the innocent or not so innocent, but because it wasn't relevant. Their names were not relevant um, mm. at at that point. They, it doesn't matter because it was more about the, the story of, of, uh, of my experience. But I'm intrigued to know how you felt when people came forward and said, can you take that out? It's incredibly frustrating because um, you as the writer, you know the importance of that information and how it relates to other parts of the story. But by the same token, it's not a work of fiction. Um, These are real people with real lives and professions and reputations. And I just, I had to tread carefully and I'm glad I did. Um, I know that there are some memoirists uh, out there who really, really, they go full on and, you know, they hold nothing back. And I have so much respect for them. But then again, there are a lot of memoirists who 
only actually write their memoirs after the person, uh, a main character in their book, has passed away. So I think I'm somewhere in the middle. Mm. All these people are still alive, um, and I couldn't wait another 10, 20, 30 years um, to tell my story. It needed to be told. So I kind of erred on on the side of caution. Um, You know, I think when someone has passed on, you can kind of write what you want about them. Mm. Uh, You know, there's going to be no repercussions. But when they're still alive and kicking and and whatnot, you you really – You've got to take into into consideration um, their life as well. So, I think I'm sort of in the middle of the of, of the memoirist. You know, how much do you actually reveal, and how much do you hold back and mm. omit from the manuscript? Mm. Yeah, mm. I. And I'm going to say this, and I hope you you don't mind, but I found that the the character should I, I'll say the character of uh, the adoptive mother. Didn't, didn't come across um, as a terribly nice person. Is it okay that I say that? Yeah, you're not the only person to have said that. <laughs> um, you know what? My mum and I have had a tumultuous uh, relationship for as far back as I can remember, mm-hmm. right to my teenage years. Um, she's an amazing mom. don't get me wrong, but we have personality clashes we're actually very very similar in very many respects Mm. and I think that's that's part of the problem um I think she does feel that she has has been portrayed in a not so positive light Mm. but you know while you you say that and a few other people have said that to me others have said no absolutely not um you were a shitty teenager, and that is how any mother, you know, would have reacted. Um, and I was. I was incredibly rebellious and difficult, and I gave my mother a hell of a lot of gray hairs. Mm-hmm. Um, she is a phenomenal granny to my son. And you know what? I just told the story from the perspective of a teenage girl who had a less than perfect relationship with her mother, like I think so many teenage girls do. Mm. Um, You know, we always see these beautiful relationships between moms and daughters doing each other's hair and going shopping together and whatever, whatever, in the movies and whatnot. But actually for a lot of people, that's that's not how it is. And for me, it wasn't. And um, I just, I wanted to tell the truth. Um, And, you know... I think a lot of people, what they see on the surface, they just assume, you know, they've got a great relationship. But behind closed doors, it was it was very tense. Mm. Um, and, yeah, our relationship is still very strained to this day. Um, we don't we don't speak at the moment. Um, it's actually been almost three years now. Oh. And that is her choice, not mine. Is that because um, of the book? It's because of the book, yeah. So mm. it's one of those things that... It was a risk I was willing to take. Mm. And it's been incredibly difficult for me to reconcile. But, you know, the thing is, I can never go back. I can never take this book back. No. Even in its manuscript stage, when when I gave it to her to read, before I even approached publishers or anything, um, once she had read it, she can't unread it. And... Uh, 
it was already a problem for her then. So whether I went ahead with the project, which I decided to do, or whether I decided, no, let's put this manuscript in the, in the drawer to gather dust, either way, my relationship with her would have, would have been not so good. So um, I'm really glad that I had the ball to, mm. to continue with this project because it has helped so many people. And I just wish that my mom could see that, that it's, it's not a, um, I'm not trying to hurt her in any way. I'm just trying to tell a real life story of exactly what it is like growing up as an adopted child and having a not so great relationship with your folks. Um, you know, it's, it's real life. Do you uh, think that the book offered her any insight into things that perhaps you hadn't been able to, for whatever reason, communicate with her um, prior to that point? I mean, do you yes. think... Yeah, and uh, even with that in mind, she she still she wasn't able to make peace with it? No. Um, I think you, you've you hit the nail on the head there. Um, there were a lot of things that she probably did not know about. And I think learning about it um, in a book in which you are quite a, a main character could be, you know, quite shocking. Um, but you know what? I think she does feel guilt um, in certain respects. She did say to me that she wished that I had gotten psychological help when I needed it. And, mm. you know, she, she didn't fight for me hard enough there. Um, and I think she does have quite a few personal issues that she needs to work through with regard um, adoption. Mm. And it's not something that I want to discuss publicly. Mm. Um, you know, th- th- those are her, her issues to deal with. And in her own time, in her own space, hopefully with her own uh, therapist. Um, the problem is, like my dad said, you know, they come from a generation where they don't look for help. They don't ask no. for psychological help. No. And I think that's a huge problem because I have managed to work through purely um, from reading books, from speaking to professionals, and spending a crap load of money on therapy. Yeah, you Um, you and and me both. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I just don't understand why people are so reluctant to, to say, I'm not coping. I need help. You know, Paula, um, I wonder, sorry to interrupt, but I, I wonder, yeah. particularly in the sense of uh, of adoptive parents, if particularly of, of that generation, if there, there seems to be, and, and I've noticed this from people who've, who've read my book, first of all, there's a lot of misunderstanding around adoption and there's a lot of misunderstanding around the various emotions that, that are involved. Um, mm. and, and I wonder if it's not, and I felt this slightly with, with my uh, adoptive mum, that when you adopt a child, so many people say, oh, you're doing a wonderful thing. You're doing a wonderful mm-hmm. thing to take in this unwanted <laughs> child. And there's almost, mm. a, if somebody tells you something enough, you mm. start to believe it. And not only mm. that, 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 that's maybe a bit unfair, but also you've got something to live up to. I now have to be the perfect mother. And God yeah. forbid something comes in and mm. disrupts the apple cart to reveal that actually, you know what, mm. you weren't the perfect mother. Uh, and that's yeah. okay because nobody's the perfect anything. 
Um, but, 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 and I think it's that the thing that you spoke about there about, you know, going and, and basically owning your own stuff, um, oh. which, which we all essentially, I believe we all have to do in order to reach any contentment in life. But particularly right. for adoptive parents, if you, if somebody then says, actually, there were problems there. It's attacking mm. the very foundation of what mm. a, a lot of their pa- parental ego is based on. Correct. 100%. And the problem is an, a parent of, of a normal biological child can have a problem teenager. No, you know, it's, it's normal and they can go and get their child help. But for an adoptive parent to admit that they have a problem child, a lot of that um, perceived failure as a parent, you know, could be because you're not doing a good job with your adopted child. Maybe you are not worthy to be a parent. And I think they do. They they set very high standards for themselves. Um, And... See, the thing is, I have a problem, just going back to what you said in the beginning. Oh, you're doing such a wonderful thing, taking in this unwanted baby, et cetera, et cetera. I think any prospective adoptive parent really needs to look long and hard at why they are adopting. Mm -hmm. If you are going into this process of growing your family, and providing a home for this, this child and um, fulfilling your, your wish to be a mom or a dad, I don't think you're doing it for the right reason. Mm. The, the person who is at the center of this is the child. You, you should be doing it for the child, providing a child with a family and a home. It's, it's reversing I know it all sounds very similar and a lot of it is semantics, but it should be about the child and what's in the best interest of the child, not the parent. And I think so much of that is lost in the process. And a um, a lot of the credit goes to the adults. Oh, you are such a wonderful parent, you know, to be doing this and... You know, it's like a charitable thing, and Mm. that's not what it's about. Um, Every child deserves a loving home and family. Um, And quite frankly, I think a lot of people go into it with the wrong idea. Um, And it's it's almost like they they want to pick this perfect, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, cherubic little thing that's just going to bring them, you know, absolute joy and at the end of the day, that little child, it has a past and it's going to have a future with you. And it's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be a bed of roses. There are going to be times when you have problems with this child. And it's not necessarily because they adopted, but you've, you've, got, to, you've got to take ownership of the fact that, um, you know, being a parent is tough for anybody. But you need to understand that the adopted child is, is not going to be the answer to all your questions and, and all your wants and desires and needs. Um, there's so much more to it. Yeah. No. So, yeah, it's, it's a very complicated, complex issue. And I think people are, are quite naive to just how complicated it is. What does your biological mother think of the book? She is so 100% 
um, proud of and happy for me. She is so grateful that I have told not only my story, but her story and my biological father's story and my parents' story. Um, I gave everyone a voice in the book, an equal opportunity to explain their side of the story. And she's such a good soul. Um, she was put in a very, very difficult predicament um, at the time she had to to give me away. And for the longest time, I mean, growing up, especially as a teenager, I did feel a lot of resentment and bitterness towards her because I didn't know the reasons why. And when she opened her heart to me in her letters and then when we met face to face, I just realized that this woman, she didn't have a bad bone in her body. Those letters just destroyed me. They, oh my (laughs) goodness me. I'd never, because I didn't have letters like that. And I had very opposite letters. But I, when I read that, I mean, it tore my heart out. It was, you know, and, and she comes across sort of as a very likable, uh, very likable person and also a very conscious person um, in terms of what you may have felt growing up. And and the letters are reflective of that. Um, That was, it was just amazing for for me as a, Mm. as a reader and um, as an adoptee to, to read wow like that as somebody has actually thought about her I know I know she's an amazing soul um I've got a very strong connection to her although she lives in the states she lives in Texas now um we are still in very regular contact and I'm actually planning a holiday to go out and see her next year um I just she's very very sad that things have turned out the way they have between my adoptive mom and me. Mm. Um, she just wishes that, you know, we could we could bridge this, this divide and, you know, work on things because, you know, life is short. And honestly, I think things like this, it's, it's ridiculous to drag them out for so long. But you know what? She's incredibly supportive of me. Um, I know she loves me unconditionally. Um, same same thing with my, my biological father. He's incredibly grateful that I've told this story with such accuracy and um, sensitivity. So although I have obviously upset my adoptive parents by telling my story, um, I think my, my biological family is, is, is very, very happy for me that, you know, it's out there and the book is doing well and it's helping a lot of other people. Mm. Mm. So it wasn't all in vain. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Uh, Paula Gruben is our guest on Book Club today. Uh, we're talking uh, about her debut, uh, an autobiographical novel. It's called Umbilicus. Uh, do go and get yourselves a, a copy. Talk to me a little bit before we talk about uh, self-publishing. Talk to me just a bit about your writing process. Are you one of those very diligent writers who wakes up at five in the morning and <laughs> writes for two hours? Please say no. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, Sarah! No. Oh, um, you know what? There were probably a few months where I did manage to find sort of two, three hours every morning where my son was at play school, and I literally I could sit down, really put my head down, and work. But then school holidays would would rock around and everything would go out the window. And if you break that routine, it's incredibly difficult to get back into it. 
And then I would literally, I would snatch half an hour here, an hour there or whatever, and just scribble notes in a little notebook or type little notes on my phone and then transcribe everything or send it to email and put it into my, my actual manuscript, my Word document. And it was all over the show. I mean, it, this book was written on scraps of paper, on serviettes, on God knows what. Um, I'm definitely not one of those people who works from point A to Z and everything is structured no. and beautiful. I, it literally, it was a complete mishmash. And the only way I was able to bring it all together and tie it together in, in a sort of cohesive, coherent whole, um, I discovered this amazing software. I think most people know about Scrivener, which is... Um, I have no uh, idea what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, a prof- it's a professional um, software that writers use, and it organizes things into chapters. And no, 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 what? No. How do and I not I, know um, about this? I should okay, be having words with I'm Melinda listening. Ferguson. This is outrageous. I was so stressed out because I had just, I don't know, like 60,000 words in a Word document, yeah. and I didn't know how to break them into scenes and chapters and, and work the story into like a proper narrative arc. Anyway, so I found this program. It's called Why Writer, and it's free. And it literally, you, you, you break down your book into chapters, and then you copy and paste whatever you want in a certain chapter, and then it kind of knits it all together for you. And at the end of it, it comes out as the full manuscript. And you're like, oh, my God, all all those bits and pieces and paragraphs here and little sentences there and whatever, it, it's all tied together beautifully. So honestly, I can seriously recommend that for anybody who is writing. Why writer? The letter Y and then writer, all one word. Just Google Google it and you will not be disappointed. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm doing it. I'm, I'm like a third of the way through book number two, but it's, not, it's never too late. It's never too late. Talk to me yeah. about self-publishing because that is uh, more and more people are self-publishing these days. Uh, pros and cons. Okay. <laughs> I do a lot of talks about, I call it the age of the entrepreneur. Mm. <laughs> Sounds a little bit, um, <laughs> what's the word? Uh, anyway, it's hard to to be a self-published author, but not just I think a lot of people think that you write a book, you print it, and that's it. It's about so much more than that. It's all the marketing and the publicity and all that stuff that comes afterwards. So for self-publishing, people need to understand that it is a long and very complicated process. If you've got money, you can pay someone to pretty much do everything for you. It will cost about, for a book, my book is 200 pages, um, black and white inside, no pictures, and a full-color cover. To pay a self-publishing bureau um, for use of their editors, um, proofreaders, cover designers, everything that goes into the actual production of a book, plus a print run of your first 500 copies. Is going to set you back almost sixty thousand rand, six zero. Right. Okay. Mm. I didn't have two bobs to my name when I started this, this book. I was a stay-at-home mom 
I was doing freelance copywriting. I literally had no money. I had to teach myself how to do everything from scratch. So building my website, um, drawing up a, a marketing plan, um, all the editing, the line edits, which is the most excruciating oh, process. I can't even, I can't imagine because actually when my book came back all nicely edited, I just thought having seen it in a Word document for, for a couple of years and then suddenly it's all indented beautifully, yeah. I thought, oh, this is magic, yeah. this is amazing. That took me so long. But, and you know, you go to bed at night and you see like, exclamation marks and quotation marks and commas and whatever in your in your sleep it's it's horrific it's a horrible process to go through but if you don't have the money to pay someone to do that you can do it yourself there is there are so many um uh software and things like that you can download everything's for free online you can teach yourself how to do anything on the internet um i'm living proof of that and then the only part that I could not do myself was the printing, obviously. Mm. And I had no money to do printing. But there's such a wonderful thing nowadays called crowdfunding. And it's quite new in South Africa, um, but I think a lot more people are doing it. Mm. And I used Indiegogo because the, the South African, it's called Thunder, Thunder, Thunder Fund. Fund, yeah. That wasn't around two, three years ago when I did my crowdfunding. But basically, they all work on the same premise. And you, you, you raise money online. And then I just, I literally, I saved that money until I was ready to do my first print run. And that was the only money that I actually spent. And I had enough to do a first print run of 200 books. That was enough for my launch and um, to supply some of the bookstores. And then I used the profits from selling those first 200 copies to bankroll my second print run and so on. So honestly, if people are put off by the fact that they have no money to do this, you can do everything yourself. It's just going to take a shit long time, but you can do it. And then um, there is the option of crowdfunding. And if you are really serious about this and you need the help of professional editors, et cetera, et cetera, you're going to have to raise more money than my little 6,000 rands worth to do my print run. But um, it can be done. And, you know, the, the, the quality of the books that are put out by these self-publishing bureaus are on a par with traditionally published books. And you, you cannot tell, you know, one apart from the other. No, they are true. beautiful quality. Mm. But I have to warn anyone who's, considering going the self-publishing route, please be careful of, they call vanity presses. And they are not the same as self-publishers. A vanity press, I'm not going to mention any names on the radio, but they are companies that look for people who are interested in self-publishing. They know that you are vulnerable, that you have not been able to find a traditional publisher or you don't want to go that route. And they ask exorbitant fees, and they will do everything for you. And it's a lovely, sexy package that they offer you. And all that they do, they literally, they slap together a really, really poorly edited, really, really bad product. They print out masses of your, of your books, which you are then just going to sit with in your garage 
Um, they don't help with the marketing, the publicity, nothing. You are paying so much money for a really, really dodgy service. And if you're unsure, if the person who has approached you and says, oh, we're interested in your story, blah, 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 um, if you're unsure if they are a vanity publisher or not, just literally Google the company's name and the word vanity, and you will see things coming up about very shady business practices. And I think a lot of authors, first-time authors, fall into the trap of handing over vast sums of money to vanity publishers. And then they just sit with boxes and boxes of books in their garage that they don't know how to move. And that's the other thing. Um, if you're going to self-publish, you need to know how to market and distribute your books. And that was a long process for me. My book is now available in exclusive books nationwide and a whole bunch of indie bookstores. It's everywhere. It's I see it everywhere. <laughs> but it's not as easy as walking in to a head office and saying, hi, would you like to distribute my book to all your stores? It is a, a very complicated process, um, a lot of red tape, and I finally figured it out. I, I, I now know how to do it, and I tell people how to go about it. Um, but that kind of information is not very readily available. Um, so it can be done, but yeah, just, just be aware that you can't just print these books and expect them to suddenly appear on, on the shelves of bookstores. A lot of self-publishers, just go the Amazon route. And you know what? That's cool if you just want your book available online. But there's actually a lot of people and a lot of people in South Africa that prefer paperbacks. They prefer hard copies to ebooks. And I just think that an author is selling themselves short if they only offer an electronic version of their book because they just they're not reaching their full audience. Um, personally, I'm a I'm a paperback girl. I am too. I'm not, yeah, I just, yeah. I'm not a fan of, of reading on the Kindle. Um, and these are all aspects that you've got to take into consideration. So, yes, you can go that route, and you're not going to have to pay for printing or anything. And then there's the print on demand, so people can order your paperback um, off Amazon. But then, obviously, it's it's, it's not financially a viable for people here in South Africa. It's fine if you're in the States or the UK um, to order a paperback and it's delivered like within 24 hours to your door. But here, um, we don't have any services like that anymore. We did, but they closed down. So you probably are going to have to to do a print run um, if, if you want to be able to stock bookstores. So yeah, it's, um, it's a long and convoluted process. But it's incredibly rewarding. I mean, you know what it's like seeing your baby on the shelves, hey? Yeah, I mean, I didn't have to do quite as much work as you did, um, which, which I think, if I had had to, it probably wouldn't have. It probably wouldn't be happening. Um, but yeah, no, it is. It's amazing. It's it's a really great feeling. Before we let you go, I am desperate to ask: When is the next book coming, and what is it about? Oh God, Sarah. Okay, <laughs> so much pressure. I'm back working full-time now. Yes. So I have very little time to do my writing. But I am trying to find, like I said before, an hour here, half an hour there. Um, a, lot of, a lot of it has been written, um, but, yeah, I've just got to finish it off. I'm hoping by the middle of this year, so about another four months from now, um, 
And when you were saying pros and cons of self-publishing, what I found with self-publishing, it was perfect for this particular project, Umbilicus. But for my second book, I want to try going the traditional publishing route, purely because it is a story that has a much broader audience. It's set in London. Um, It's a direct follow-on from Umbilicus. So where this ends um, with me leaving for London at the age of 21, the next book um, is set in London and it takes place over the, the two years that I was there on a working holiday visa and some of the crazy stuff that happened over there. I can't um, wait. I cannot <laughs> wait. I'm so, ex- I'm so excited. <laughs> so I think that it will appeal to hopefully a British publisher, mm. um, but I have to go through a literary agent. Here you can approach publishers directly. Um, but over there, you can't. You have to find a literary agent, yeah. and they then market you. So it's going to be a very long process. It's not like self-publishing where I could finish the manuscript and it could be on the shelves by the end of the year. Um, they say it can take 12 to 18 months, sometimes up to two years, to see the book on the shelf. But, yeah, that's the plan. Um, all the details of of everything that we've discussed now. Can I say my website? Yes, online? please, please. Um, it's Um And honestly, if there's any information that any listeners want about the publishing process, um, about my current book, my future book, it's all on there. And anyone is free to email me with any questions they have. Nothing's, nothing's off limits. Um, I think you understand when, when you've written a memoir and you've, You've put your life onto the page. 